Hi, everyone, and welcome to podcast episode number seven of the Tick Boot Camp podcast. The title of today's podcast is A Teacher Takes on Lyme Disease, an interview with Dr. Nancy Fox. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today we're talking with Lyme disease education expert Dr. Nancy Fox about how she got started educating children on ticks and Lyme disease. Welcome, Dr. Nancy Fox. Hello. Uh, Dr. Fox is an expert in Lyme disease education through her own personal experience. Dr. Fox was diagnosed with Lyme disease in 2003. Once diagnosed, she quickly learned a little, she learned how little knowledge there was on Lyme disease, so she decided to change that. In 2011, Dr. Fox published her first children's book entitled No Ticks, Please. Then in 2014, her second book, Hide and Seek, No Ticks, Please, was published. In 2017, Dr. Fox published her third book, No Ticks, Please, No Garapa, did I butcher that, Nancy? Por favor. Uh, <laughs> yes, she did. <laughs> can you can you correctly pronounce that for us, please? So we know. Uh, no garapatas, por favor. No garapatas, por favor. Obviously, my high school Spanish is, uh, has long left me uh, <laughs> with my hair, as it turns out. Um, uh, re- and, and this year, Dr. Fox uh, published a uh, book entitled The Parasite Convention, How Humans Have Messed Up Our Lives, um, and, is taking, and she's taking a different approach to bring about awareness um, of the tick diseases and illnesses through stories and insects. Uh, Dr. Fox has been an educator for 25 years. Uh, she's made it her mission to educate others about Lyme disease and has created a full curriculum for children uh, through level, uh, in levels kindergarten through 12th grade. Now, Dr. Fox. Uh, is taking her um, curriculum on the road, along with help from other Lyme sufferers, including this wonderful young college student named Cassidy Colbert. Is it Colbert or Colbert? Colbert. Oh, uh, Cassidy Colbert. Uh, Dr. Fox uh, uh, has gone to over 15 states, and she's educated over 2,500 children about Lyme disease and the prevention and Lyme disease and prevention. Uh, this is all done through her volunteer efforts and the volunteer efforts of others and is funded by donations and sponsorships. So Dr. Fox, just wanna thank you again for joining us on this interview and thank you for all you do to spread awareness of Hicks and Lyme disease and to educate the youth in, in this country. And we wanna get started by asking you some questions about your experience with Lyme disease Starting with, uh, when, what was your life like before you first got your tick bite? If you could give us a little idea into your life and how it was like before you got bit by a tick that caused Lyme disease for you. Um, I was very busy. I was a young mom um, uh, working with uh, kids and, and through, I drove a school bus and then I went to get my degree for education and my, my children kept me busy. We were going to wrestling matches since the age of five for them. So life was very, very busy. But over the time before I was diagnosed, um, I'd had crazy little symptoms. Like I had asthma for five years. And then I had stomach and digestive problems. But for most part, I just thought everything was as normal as most lives are. Wow. So, Dr. Fox, did you have any prior experiences with ticks or any knowledge of tick protection and detection before you got diagnosed with Lyme disease? I did not. Um, That was the interesting part for me is that I heard very little. You know, you'd get the spring uh, little note on the TV. Maybe it would be a brush. um, But it was nothing I really thought about. I didn't think about ticks. Yeah, I thought about ticks that I had had a few ticks along my lifespan, but I didn't know how dangerous they were. Right. So you kind of had a basic idea, but you had no idea really how dangerous and how life-changing they can be, it sounds like, right? 
Absolutely. That is so true. Yep, and that, that seems to be very common among most of our, our uh, podcast guests that we have. So you, you mentioned that you were bit by a few ticks prior to your uh, tick that caused Lyme disease. When you were bitten by those ticks, did you take any precautionary measures? Did you go to the doctor? Did you do any sort of follow-up? Or did you sort of just, you know, take them off and uh, move on with your daily life at that point? I took them off just like anybody else that I've talked mm-hmm. to over the years. And um, okay. I just move on. Mm-hmm. Great, great. So now, with the one tick that did cause uh, cause you to have Lyme disease, did you find that tick, or is that something that a uh, tick you never found on you? I don't know how to answer that question, other than I don't recall uh, the tick okay. that probably caused my Lyme disease. Um, I had um, been bit back in the late 80s, and okay. so that's what happened. So I don't recall a tick at that point. Oh, so it's possible that you were bit by a tick that you found. It kind of the Lyme disease lay dormant and came out at a later point. That uh, sounds like that's another possibility in your in your case, right? Yeah. Well, the the symptoms that I referred to over time um, was were actually symptoms of Lyme. I just didn't know it. Wow. Wow. That's that's so Nancy. You're you're not clear on whether or not you were bitten by a tick and did did not discover that tick that resulted in your in your Lyme disease or you, or you were bitten earlier and it lay dormant, and then, of course, this opportunistic disease may have taken off later. My Lyme letter doctor refers to, um, I graduated um, from community college in 1990, and at that point, my eye, my left my right eye started to droop, had already drooped. And prior in the late 80s, uh, 86, 87, when we moved back to my home that I'd lived in growing up, um, I, Christmas Day, I got so sick, I couldn't get my head off the pillow. I had flu-like symptoms, I, 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 so I thought it was just the flu, but I didn't go to the doctor then. And then I couldn't get well for three months. So that, to me, is the time when I was bit. I just didn't know it. Wow. So you sounds like you were, you were really sick before you even went to the doctor. You had, you know, the facial palsy, the, the droopy eye the severe flu-like symptoms around Christmas time, and then about three months later you seek medical uh, guidance. Is that correct? No, I didn't. No. I never. I, I didn't seek medical treatment for 13 years to address the Lyme. Wow, wow. So 13 years from that point, and okay. So after that 13-year period, what doctor did you start with when you started to seek your, your, uh, your medical assistance? It was kind of happenstance. My dad um, had bullseye rashes all over his body, and the dermatologist near us said he didn't know what it was, but he thought he should get a second opinion. So wow. I, um, my dad tried to get into Johns Hopkins at the time, but it was going to take months, and he was really, really sick. So we found out through um, a friend of ours that Dr. Bach in Pennsylvania could see him and so Dr. Bach got him in within three weeks, and honestly, I didn't go to get tested. Mm. I didn't go to get my Lyme disease diagnosis or answer any questions about my health. I went to take my dad, and about a week before I, the appointment for Dr. Bach, um, I got Bell's palsy so bad I was slurring my speech. So on the morning of May 16, 2003, I got a Lyme test in the morning. Then we went to Dr. Bach, and my, Dr. Bach took one look at me and said, forgive me for saying so, but you have a speech problem. Maybe you should be tested. And then we went on to my dad's full-body 
full-blown bullseye rashes all over his body. Wow, wow. So, Nancy, what type of a Lyme test did you take? Um, as far as I know, it was ELISA and Western Blot. Both of them came out negative in the morning, but then Dr. Bach did a whole series of testing, um, and I was CDC positive for Lyme and babesiosis. Yes, yeah, so Dr. Fox, I think that's an important note there that your first test came back negative. Um, you know, so many people think that they get a Lyme test, comes back negative, they don't have Lyme. But the Lyme tests aren't great. They're not 100% accurate. They're about 50% accurate. So I think that's important for our listeners to understand that. Um, and thankfully, in your situation, you had followed up with a second test that came back positive that allowed you then but to move forward and get the proper treatment, right? That was happenstance because I took my dad to the Lyme literate doc. I did not have an appointment. Wow. So had wow. I had and I I agreed to be tested because I had I'd had symptoms that whatever and Dr. Bach was so convincing that, you know, maybe I should check this out. And here's the thing. I don't know of anybody else's story that they were tested in the morning for Lyme right. and then they're tested in the evening. I was tested around ten, eleven o'clock at night because that's how late we were there. Um wow. the same day. One was CDC positive, one was, the first one was negative. So the testing protocols are huge. Not only is the test not great, but the testing protocols can be as difficult as the test being inaccurate. Wow, wow. And like you said, I think it happened to be just sort of luck at that point for you, right, that, that got you your, your proper diagnosis. Absolutely. Um, if I had not taken my dad and the doctor hadn't, say, hey, I think you should be tested, but we're here to see your dad, and then go on and I agree to be tested, I may have been gone on even longer with the symptoms. So, Nancy, you, you had all these neurological symptoms over the course of 13 years, and what's a little confusing to me is, is whether you saw any doctors at all and whether you were diagnosed with anything other than the Lyme. I was diagnosed with... Um, I had respiratory issues, so I was diagnosed with asthma for five years, and then it went away. Hmm. And then so I continued. The huh? What about the Bell's palsy? Uh, the palsy happened um, the week before May 16, 2003. I mean, the palsy, the, the only person who noticed the palsy was the Lyme litter doc, Dr. Bach in PA, on May 16, 2003. But the palsy was there, and the droopy eye was there in 1990, and no one noticed it. No doctor, even though I went to doctors, you know, periodically, a couple times a year, maybe, whatever, unless, you know, if something. No one noticed my droopy eye. Dr. Bach went back into pictures and asked me to pull pictures up to see when the palsy may have been, had started, and we concurred that it was 1990. So, Nancy, there was a study done at Columbia University that came to the conclusion that the average Lyme sufferer must see at least seven doctors before they're diagnosed with Lyme disease. Is that consistent with your experience? Oh, yeah. I mean, over 13 years, I had seen doctors for various things. And then the digestive issues started. And in um, 2000 or 2001, I had 40 to 50 polyps in my stomach that were removed. And then later, after I was diagnosed with Lyme, someone, um, we tested one of the polyps that keep reoccurring, and they had spirochetes in them. Wow. Wow. So, Nancy, over that 15-year period where you went to those other doctors for your other issues, did any of them think Lyme or test Lyme, or it wasn't until you went with, uh, with your father to, to that specialist? 
It wasn't until I went with my father. Well, the week before, because of the Bell's palsy, was so extreme. But never during that whole time period did anybody say anything about Lyme. Or, you know, I saw in the doctor's office, oh, get your Lyme, your Lyme um, shot. Yeah. And I never did because um, wow. I'm, I'm one of those funny ones about getting shots. So, but never un- up until 2003, the week before I went with my dad, no one ever tested me for Lyme. So, Nancy, you, you're, you're sort of living this um, interesting life uh, over the course of a period of time where you didn't know a whole lot about ticks other than you had been bitten by a tick here or there during the course of your life. You, um, you're suffering various um, health symptoms, but sort of mm-hmm. getting along. Um, you meet this doctor, um, and you discover after you meet the Lyme literate doctor that you knew very little about ticks, so you couldn't self-diagnose, and the doctors that you were treating with knew nothing about uh, ticks, so they certainly weren't diagnosing you. But then you, you do meet a doctor that's Lyme literate, and he, uh, he does, um, through various, uh, various uh, tests, uh, determine that you have Lyme disease. So tell me what, uh, what you've now learned uh, that would help folks who, would, who perhaps would be in exactly the same situation you were in to help them overcome uh, the challenges more quickly than you did? Well, one of the things is that many of us just say when we have achy joints or we're tired that we feel like we're just getting old. So those of us beyond the age of 30 or plus, we probably think our lives are too busy or whatever. I would definitely um, go to a Lyme literate doc or inquire with my general physician about possible Lyme symptoms or other tick-borne diseases, which is another whole maze of interesting things because Dr. Bach tested me for other diseases and co-infections where no one else had ever done any of those. Wow. Now, how did how did this affect your your family? You said that you you have uh, I think a couple of boys who are wrestlers. Uh, how, how did this affect um, How did this affect your spouse? How did this affect your children? How, how did it affect your personal life? Uh, my personal life. <laughs> when I finally got to the point where um, I was diagnosed, of course, the treatment protocol was very intense. Um, my husband didn't understand because I looked okay. I was tired all the time. I fell asleep in the car. Anytime we went out, I would fall asleep in the car. And um, he's like, you know, I was distant. I was not connected. So that put a strain on our marriage and our relationship. Um, my boys, by the time I was diagnosed, my boys, our boys were, you know, grown and going off to their own lives. But they, they also think I'm the crazy lady who talks about ticks all the time and how I mean, they still, after watching me go through all of that, still, um, they don't listen to me because one time I now have grandchildren and my granddaughter had a tick on her nape of her neck and they lived about an hour away and they were telling me they were putting Vaseline on the tick. I'm like, are you guys crazy? Have you not listened to me? Um, my, one of my granddaughters also, when they were living with us when they were transferring um, from um, Air Force back into the States. She had two bullseye rashes on the back of her knees. Um, so even though I've been through all of this and I'm an educator, it is tough to get your family members to believe you 
what you are saying can be so detrimental to your health and, you know, your life. Yeah, I think you hit on a key point there that, you know, you don't look sick, right? So Lyme disease is yeah. sort of known as invisible illness. So, you, you know, you feel like you're dying on the inside, but you look perfectly healthy on the outside. So it's hard for others to really appreciate how sick you are and how you're feeling. And oftentimes they get confused and just sort of, you know, either don't believe you or think that you're exaggerating. And I think that's a really big problem in the Lyme community. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I've, I've heard it many, many times. I've worked with, you know, probably hundreds, um, probably even we're pushing thousands of people now um, where uh, they say exactly the same things. Their life, their perception of who they are and what they're feeling and how they're doing is far different from what people perceive. Right, right. So, Nancy, you, you've now... Um made this your cause, you've now used your superpowers as an educator and you want the world to be a different world than the world that you um, were raised in and you grew up in and the, I guess the world that your children were growing up in. So tell us, tell us a little about how you're uh, making the changes that you're making. Well, when I finally got well after about, um, okay, 2003 to 2010, um, you know, I was getting well, and I finally got on my feet where my brain was not foggy and I could really think, and that was a blessing because I had always wanted to write books. And so I figured, I looked, and I, I was actually, through my illness, I was working on my doctoral degree. I never stopped going to college for 20 years. Do so you think about that span? Um, I was in college part-time and working full-time, so I was really pushing myself. I took one year off, I believe. But then um, what I was studying, what was Lyme disease? I figured the best way to figure out um, while I was in a doctoral program is to research Lyme disease, re research what's been happening, what's going on in the medical community. How can I help someone else not experience this? And, of course, my love for children I found out there were very few books for children, if at all, and there was one curriculum. So during my doctorate, I decided I was going to develop a curriculum, and I did. At first, I wrote the book, No Ticks, Please. Um, my mother and father died all in the same nine-month period, and um, I was on a mission to get my book written um, before my mother passed away. She had lung cancer, but... Um, she, she lived nine and a half years past her diagnosis. So I have that kind of in my genes that we're not going to stop fighting until we can't stop fighting. So um, I did get the No Ticks, Please published before her, her death and uh, in 2011. And what I found was people wanted this information. And then, um, then I realized I needed a book that didn't just speak um, to the lower levels because I thought – you know, let's get this done. Um, but then I needed to, a book that appealed to older kids, right, third to fifth graders. And so then I rewrote the book, No Ticks, Please, and embedded it in Hide and Seek, No Ticks, Please. So then it talks about a relationship between a boy and a girl who go out into the woods and they go play because that's exactly what kids do. And uh, But let them know what the dangers are. And then... Um, Actually, the Parasite Convention has been the first book that was supposed to be published, but it's still not in, out in 
the publishing world. I'm finishing it up. Um, so that will be coming out in the fall. So what I did was the next thing I did was write that curriculum I said I was going to write during my dissertation. Um, I gathered uh, teachers together, uh, my colleagues, some people that I'd worked with in the past, um, one great lady, Margo Massey, um, who wrote, basically wrote K-8 to with her daughter. She, they worked with the, she wasn't the technical one. Her daughter was the technical one. And then we consulted back and forth about what it should look like and how it should be laid out and all of that. But uh, obviously, um, Margo did tremendous, um, her mom had Lyme disease as well. So she, she had a tremendous impact on this curriculum. On the upper levels, um, though, uh, the, I gathered my colleagues at my high school and got them to ask them if they would like to write a lesson in their field um, of expertise. And they graciously did. And amazingly enough, in 2015, the curriculum came together. So that's where I am. And then last year, I said, i got to get this out there. It's, people aren't taking it in. School systems are really hard to take in these things. If you go to the teachers and say, here's a book, which I've done, and here's what we're doing, would you just read this book to your class? And that is the easiest way to get information into a classroom. When you go to trying to get a curriculum approved and all of that through all the red tape, as people call it, it's difficult. Private schools have um, taken on the, the books and the curriculum. Um, however, we're still working. It's, it's, a, it's a work in progress. So I wanted to know how could I teach this curriculum and get things going a little faster because Kids are getting bit daily. And so the LEAF program, the Lyme education program came to be. Nancy, we know, we know that children are the most vulnerable. They, they are bitten more often than adults. They're diagnosed less often than adults. And we know that their central nervous system is generally uh, affected at a greater rate than adults. And I think there are a lot of different reasons for that. So with, with all that being said, and, and so many children literally losing their childhood, why do you think there's so much resistance in the educational community to your tools, whether they be your books or your curriculum or all of the above? That's a wonderful question. Um, the only way I see that they'll take this more seriously than ever is for litigation to be happening. Um, I hate to say that because <laughs> um, but until, I mean, they don't see it because, one, number, number one, they think kids, if they have a stomachache and the symptoms of Lyme, the tiredness, the fatigue, they think maybe the parents aren't getting to bed early enough. I mean, I'm a teacher. I've been there having those thoughts. Um, so especially kids who are undiagnosed or misdiagnosed, that, that is a problem. So they don't see the impact. And when a child um, goes into a Lyme situation, an illness that is so debilitating, schools have to pay double the amount of money to educate them through special ed services, through 504 plans, through especially the special ed is double the cost, um, maybe even triple the cost depending on the severity of the illness and how it keeps them out of school for home hospital and things like that. I'm... Uh, utterly amazed 
that schools will not teach prevention and will not make it a priority. Uh, I think the only thing is is that legislation saying schools, you need to do this. This is when schools take note and will do things. So I we hope I answered that question. Well, we, Nancy, we know that teachers are resistant to that type of legislation. I mean, we, 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 we saw when there was an mm-hmm. effort uh, to bring the Common Core curriculum to schools, mm-hmm. uh, teachers resisted that. And we also, we also see that when there is when there's, uh, general testing, at least in, in our communities, uh, teachers are encouraging parents to opt out, and we have opt-out rates that are in excess of um, 60% with some testing. So I, I, um, I think there are a lot of challenges in the educational system, and I think on some level the educational system is just overwhelmed with all of the mandates, and there's just so much that exactly. schools are being asked to do. Asking them to do. Asking them to do something else may not be within their bandwidth. So I'm, 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 I'm really anxious about that. And I can tell you as a, as a parent of four children, um, uh, who went through uh, the public school system here in our community in Rocky Point, New York, uh, where we have, yeah, I mean, we, we, are in a, we live in a tick-infested community. And there was, not sure one, there was not one word of tick education um, uh, provided to my children during their 13 years of, um, of public school education. So uh, th- 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 there certainly does need to be something changed, and it is a little frustrating to me as a parent to hear that um, we have someone like you who has used your uh, superpowers to um, make a change and develop the curriculum and give them the tools and, and the schools are not open to it and they're not, um, they're not clamoring for it, uh, which is just, just really strange. So Nancy, let's, let's, um, let's um, not turn this into a, um, a discussion about what the school systems are not doing and let's talk about what we can do to protect our children. So if you had to do it all over again, Nancy, uh, and, um, and if I took out my magic wand and uh, lack Harry Potter, I, um, I was able to send you back to a time where you were a young mother with young children. What would you do differently to protect your children and teach your children how to protect themselves from ticks and tick diseases? First and foremost, I would need to know about it, that it exists and not just by uh, two or three minutes here or there that I get that. Um, I would have to hear about it and see it and, and understand the depth and the risk and the severity of having a tick bite um, because that's what motivates us. Seeing our children, knowing that our children could be this sick, this, the illness taking over their lives, um, and I would, once I understood that, I would definitely um, do everything I could. I, I would have, I would do daily tick checks with my kids. I would uh, learn how to remove a tick properly so that that tick would not be biting my child for any extended period of time. I would, you know, do prevent, preventative measures, uh, use, um, you know, protective clothing that are already, you know, infused with or that I sprayed. I would use uh, chemical and natural, whatever my choices were, um, to prevent them, actually. And my husband right now, he loves to go in the tall grasses and, and pick asparagus at this time of year. And I said, don't you go out without something on. <laughs> so I would be, you know, not only my children, but also my entire family and teach them more and 
I felt like, you know, with my kids responding with their own children, my grandchildren, did I not train them well enough? Did they not hear me? Um, I just would broadcast it everywhere, which is what I'm trying to do at this stage. So, Dr. Fox, you, it sounds like you got frustrated because you were building this curriculum, you were doing your best, and you felt like you wanted to do more. And then you started the Lyme Education Awareness Foundation, LEAF, as you noted. Uh, and the mission of LEAF is that, to create a goal for the future that no child should have to lose their youth to the horrors of Lyme disease. Can you speak a little bit about what you did with LEAF and how you took the show on the road and, and what you did there to really take it to the next level to expand education and awareness of Lyme disease and tick diseases? Uh, yes. Uh, LEAF came out of the frustration with not being able to get the curriculum into schools and get it, it was taking too much time. Frustration is a measurement of time. Um, you know, things not happening fast enough. So I had to take it in my own hands, and what I did is design a boots on the ground going into summer camps and teaching kids, at you know, wherever I could find them and anybody who would accept us in to teach kids about prevention and safety and awareness and all of that. And luckily, I got funded to go do that last year. And my goal was to hit 750 kids that they would be, okay, I got to start. with. If, if two kids get it, that's more than, kid, more than anybody's doing at this point, you know. Yeah. So we ended up serving almost 1,500 kids because I didn't know that this was needed as much as I was feeling the passion for it but I am now feeling the passion for it. So what we do is we go in and we go into a camp and we take 30 to 45 minutes depending on the age group of the kids and we ask them if they know what a tick is. Some of them do. Mostly 50% of the kids either do know something and we do a survey in the beginning and we find out what they know, what they don't know. And then um, we have that discussion and then we teach them what ticks are, what they look like, what they do, why they need a blood meal, all of those things. And then we say, uh, how, do you, how do you protect yourself? So then we go into the protection mode from these critters that seem to be, um, you know, being our enemies now. And then uh, we talk about... Um, bug spray, and we talk about clothing, our light-colored clothing, so we, we can see the tick. We talk about uh, staying on dry paths and all of the things that are needed. And then we go into what happens when you get bit by a tick and the consequences that you feel, you know, the symptoms that you may feel. And then Cassidy, as wonderful as she is, started last year uh, talking about... about her? This is, this is uh, Cassidy Colbert. Yes, Cassie Colbert. She was at the presentation. I was uh, talking to a sponsor last year, and uh, she decided to volunteer, and this is exactly what she wanted to do. And so she happened to be at the right place at the right time for me and for her. And so Cassidy comes in, and she's, she's younger <laughs> than I am. Much, and, well, no, uh, she, no, Cassidy's her a college energy. student who, who lost many years of her life to uh, Lyme disease, correct? It is correct. She, um, she got diagnosed at 14, but they believe that she probably got bit when she was four. And she, there were times she couldn't get up and go to school. And about 
um, 18 months ago, Cassidy was getting temporarily paralyzed five to ten times a day where she couldn't move her body. She Carol, couldn't I mean, she, she, she's a wonderful inspiration, and she has a blog, which I encourage our listeners to uh, follow as well. Cassidy's blog is uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's painful. And I can tell you as a parent of, uh, of daughters who are um, just a little – I have a daughter who is a little older than Cassidy and a daughter who is a little younger than Cassidy within a year either way. And uh, I will tell you, it broke my heart to – uh, you know, read her blog and read, uh, you know, the, the um, you know, the challenges that she's facing. But I, I have to tell you, she, she, you know, she was very positive about, you know, the challenges that she's facing and very positive about, um, you know, uh, only being able to attend college on a part-time basis because of her illness. So she's a, a beautiful kid, but, uh, but it's, it's very painful as a parent to read that. Yeah, and she's so passionate also. I mean, we, we reached out to you guys, obviously, on Facebook. That's how we started. I'm sorry, on Instagram. That's how we started communicating. And Cassidy mm-hmm. was our main point of contact for a while who put us in touch with you. And she just had such passion and, and energy for the cause. Um, so we saw that even just in communicating with Sarah before we spoke with you, Dr. Fox. And um, we're just, you know, we think she's doing a great job to help you. And so kind of going back to the, the summer tours that you did. So you basically last summer dedicated your entire summer to going out and, you know, going on the road to educate kids at various camps throughout the Northeast of the U.S. about Lyme and uh, tick disease awareness. Now, did you find that the kids uh, generally followed a lot of the stereotypes that are out there about ticks? Um, you know, a lot of these things that people believe that aren't really accurate and that are harmful. Can you speak to any of that if, if you made any of those observations about children doing, uh, following bad practices based on uh, ticks and, uh, and, and tick prevention? Oh, yeah. They, they, they told us the myths. Every place we went, the myth would be, oh, you just pull it off with your fingers. It's no big deal. Oh, you put Vaseline on it. Oh, yeah, it's not a big deal. Ah, you burn it with a match. And <laughs> so Cassidy and I had to really quickly yet tactfully say, um, that's not the best way. Here we're here to teach you the best way to have uh, to remove a tick and and to protect yourself. So. Could you share with us what what you what you describe as the best way of removing a tick when you're when you're training children? Uh, well, what we do is we carry an orange around with a um, with cloves, um, the herb I guess it is a spice, um, and we plug this uh, the cloves into the orange. And we, we use Dick Wolf's, um, Dick Wolf, he's the producer, <laughs> um, Dan Wolf, uh, we use his Tickies tweezers because they lay, he's designed them, that they lay flat on the skin, and we demonstrate how to go close to the skin and pull consistently and uh, straight up. So I'll call it the T-I-C-K-S. Uh, tick removal. First, you have tweezers. You insert the tweezers on top of the skin. Then you consistently pull. K, you keep the tick, put it in a plastic bag, and save it for the Dr. S. That's what we teach. Now, is it your expectation that when uh, when the children preserve the tick uh, for their doctor, that their doctor will have the skill set or the information that they would need to determine whether or not a, uh, well, first, what the species of tick is, and secondly, what, what uh, diseases the, uh, the tick may carry? Well, that's part of the teaching and the learning. Um, we talk about um, how the health department may be able to help them. We talk about there are places where their parents can send the tick for tick testing. Um, 
we put all of those brochures inside our, the book bags that every child receives. They receive a TickBit bag um, with a slingback bag that includes lots of brochures, coloring book, crayons for the kids, and brochures and information for parents so that they, um, you know, can expand on that. Obviously, we can't <laughs> we can't teach kids that they can go to the health department or that the health department may help them, but at least we're starting. And I feel I feel that if we start doing this and kids start telling their parents and parents start bombarding the health departments and their doctors and say, get this tested and be passionate about it, it's going to take time. I'm not, I'm not, um, what's the word? <laughs> You're right. I'm, I'm not optimistic that that will concur quickly, but it is a process because now we're going to serve over 3,000 kids this summer, which is far more than I ever imagined in two years of doing this uh, Lyme education tour. So I understand, unfortunately, education takes time and repetition. Um, but fortunately, down the road, I want to see that health departments and doctors will pay more attention to this and give it more credibility and save children's lives in the end. One of the things we'd like to share with you, Dr. Fox, is uh, we, we actually did a, a podcast entitled Tick Picks. And um, what, we, what we discovered through our podcast entitled uh, Tick Picks was that we sent a tick that had bitten me to the University of Rhode Island Tick um, Encounter uh, Program. So you can yes. take a photo of the tick. You can send that photo to the, to, to the University of Rhode Island. They will send you back a report about your particular tick. Uh, mm -hmm. And just just as a side note, uh, what we did, when I was bitten by the tick, and I went to my doctor's office, and um, and I showed the tick to my doctor. Um, uh, he did not uh, he did not do anything other than hand the tick back to me and tell me that it was interesting that the tick had a white spot on its back. And he actually then sent me through a line protocol, including um, prescribing me doxycycline. And uh, when when we sent the tick to the University of Rhode Rhode Island, it turns out my tick, my, the species of my tick, would not have carried Lyme disease. So absolutely. <laughs> so the so the uh, you know the, the the challenge, of course, we have is not only not only are our children being failed by the educational system because uh, they are not being um, offered an opportunity to uh, learn the various grooming uh, techniques they need to. Uh, to bring into their lives in order to uh, protect themselves from ticks and tick diseases. But then, of course, when we send them to doctors, the doctors in most cases are not going to be able to diagnose them, as you've seen, and they're not even going to be able to um, identify the species of tick and the appropriate protocol to use, prophylactic protocol to use, um, even if you bring them a tick. So um, right. uh, hopefully one of the things your students will begin to learn uh, about our resources like the Tick Encounter Program at the University of Rhode Island because a simple picture will give them some basic information or give their family some basic information about what they should be aware of themselves so that they can hopefully find a, a Lyme literate doctor the way um, you were fortunate enough to do. And as you noted, Dr. Fox, there are, are, there are things that people can do to be a little proactive, right? So as, as Rich noted, you can send your tick photo away for free to get a free disease risk assessment analysis. But you can also actually send a tick away to laboratories where they actually will, will um, 
you know, dissect the tick to determine if it had any tick, uh, tick diseases, and then it would let you know what those diseases were that it carried so you would have a better understanding of what your risks were to, you know, get a disease from that tick bite. So those are things I think that aren't really discussed often, and there are a lot of resources out there that can help people. So that's a, a good point. And so you, you, know, you, you mentioned that last year you, you planned on actually reaching 750 kids, but you hit over 1,500 kids last year in the summer of 2018. And now this summer for 2019, you're planning on hitting over 3,000 children to educate them on Lyme disease and tick awareness. Is that correct? It is correct. That's great. I mean, that's, that's amazing. And I think your, your schedule is already up on your website, right, so people can go check it out to see where you're going to be um, and, uh, and, and also look to see if, they're, if you're coming to their community, they can come check you out, right? Absolutely. The leaf program.org, yes. So, Dr. Fox, how would parents um, uh, reach out to you to get your your books and your uh, your educational um, tools uh, if they want to educate their children uh, directly? Okay, they can go to the leafprogram.org, uh, T-H-E, because if they just put in leaf, they'll go to Michigan somewhere. <laughs> so it's T-H-E-L-E-A-F program, P-R-O-G-R-A-M dot org, and uh, they can contact me through email. Um, I'm not, uh, <laughs> I have my phone number out there so they can call um, if they could text me and give me, you know, let me know so I know I'm available and set up a schedule of time. Um, they also can go to Amazon. The books are on Amazon. Um, they can also request a book. If they want a group of books to serve a community, I can give them a discount better than Amazon can. So just reach out to me um, through any of those means. Also, the leaf program at gmail.com is also another way. So find the leaf program. You'll find me. <laughs> great. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Fox, uh, for a great interview. I'm sure all the parents in our audience have learned a, a lot based on you uh, and what you started with uh, your Lyme disease educational programs. Um, I want to thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your experience, and you've just been unbelievably gracious. Uh, to our listeners, I have a couple of calls to action first. If you'd like to help uh, our superhero, Dr. Nancy Fox, in our efforts to save children from the savages of Lyme disease, you can make your donations by visiting uh, the Lyme Education Awareness Program, LEAF, um, at www.the, we are emphasizing the T-H-E, leafprogram.org. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode on educating children on ticks and Lyme disease, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you'll see at the bottom of this post. Uh, third, don't forget to subscribe to, the sh to this show on iTunes to get the automatic episode updates for, for our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please leave, please take a minute to leave uh, an honest review and rating uh, for us on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, this is a new effort on our part. Uh, we would really love your help um, uh, in creating a show that you would love to listen to. Uh, we make it a point to read every single one of your reviews, and we are very much appreciative of you, uh, our listeners, for listening to us. We, uh, I'm Rich Johannesson. I'm Matt Sabatello. And we're at Tick Food Camp. <laughs>